Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to Democracy Ish. I'm Danielle Moody. Hi, and I'm Jennifer Taub, in for Wajahat Ali. Jen and I do Mary Trump's show together. We are official nerd Avengers. And Jen, tell them about the 67 books that you have written on, you know, corporate greed and those things. I appreciate your hype. Um, only only written a total of two, plus uh, co-authored a case book. But my first book was on... Uh, the Financial Crisis of 2008, and it was called Other People's Houses. Um, how Decade, well, anyway, that's that's a main title. Um, and then uh, the next one was called Big Dirty Money, and that's on White Collar Crime. And I'm working on a third book now, Danielle, mm-hmm. um, on uh, tax justice and tax evasion. And the working title for that one is Taxation Nation, Lessons from the Loophole Factor. Oh, oh, I like that. I hope that that becomes the final title. Um, so, Jen, at the time of this recording, uh, you know, it is it is uh, Wednesday, folks. You will be listening to this on Thursday morning. You know, we're going to give you our recap of how we felt, um, how we f- are feeling still now, uh, now uh, just a couple of days removed from uh, midterm elections knowing um, that we're not done done. But Jen, I want to start off with asking, like, how are you feeling, right? Like, how were you feeling prior to Tuesday, November 8th? What was your energy and how are you feeling now? Yeah, um, as we got closer and closer to Tuesday, I was feeling extreme physical anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like my heart was racing. I was having trouble sleeping or kind of like, um, you know, being calm, you know, just the kind of stuff that you notice in your somatic system that you're like on edge. Um, I noticed it in every single thing. If, you know, every single thing I was doing, I was my worst self because I was so anxious. Um, and now um, I don't know that I'm calm, but I am like so full of energy to fight. Mm. Like, I think that I'm not forlorn. I was really worried that I was going to be forlorn. And now I'm just like, okay, well, we know what we're up against. We know that things aren't as bad as they seem, but there's no complacency. 
I mean, the fact that it appears that we're going to lose the house, which is what was expected Mm -hmm. by a small margin, tells us, you know, things are, are still dire. The fact that so many people who push the big lie, who are overtly racist and anti-Semitic and anti-human and mm-hmm. fascist, but those folks are in power, we still have to worry about that. But, you know, when we say these cliches, like there's, well, it's not a cliche, I say it and you say it, and it's a truism, they're more of us than there are them in terms of the us, people who believe in freedom, people who believe in choice, things like that. You see them coming through with the referenda in like Michigan and California and Vermont saying we're going to enshrine the right to choice in the Constitution. The failure of Kentucky to be able to outlaw abortion in their Constitution, this this direct rebuke of the U.S. Supreme Court in that way. And, you know, when I see these candidates go down in flames, like Oz goes down in flames and maybe Carrie Lake will, we don't know for sure. Um, you know, we, you know, it's a um, it's it, it's a sort of rejection of Donald Trump, not of Trumpism, because right. that's coming up through DeSantis. Right. right? So that's right. the work we have to do. Like anyway, so I feel on the one hand, thank God um, Trump got slapped back. But on the other hand, don't give me a, you know another Glenn Youngkin or DeSantis. We have to be really clear that these are wolves, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing, you know or Trump and DeSantis clothing is still Trump, if not worse, because he will not, he will not um, make the same mistakes. You know, he, it, it, you know, we have to be really, really, really wary of those um, candidates who may seem um, more palatable to some of the, you know, sort of white electorate. We've got to be really careful. Yeah. You know, I, I thought it, to be honest, that well, I, I will say this and, and, and folks know this. I kind of gave up the ghost, right? Like I was deciding, I had decided several weeks prior, probably a couple of months ago that I was no longer going to go into a downward spiral that regardless of the outcome on November 8th or whenever we finally have the final outcome that I was going to wake up and be fighting for freedom regardless, that I was going to wake up and be doing the work regardless it was either going to be really, really hard, right? Um, uh, or it was going to feel like there was more possibility. And so, because I have, I have tried to adapt more of an abolitionist mindset, meaning that what we are fighting for, we are not going to see. And we kind of need to take our ego and this desire for immediate gratification out of the equation. And then that lifts the burden right? For us to be able to do the work that we need to do. And so, you know, in 2016, when I got off of set that night, uh, after being in Canada on, on their CBC, which is their Canadian CNN, after being on that, I wanted to move to Canada. I didn't even want to get back on the flight to go back to the United States. Like I was so... You could, you would have thought if you had come across me in the airport that somebody had died, Uh right? Like I just felt so limp, so hollow and so betrayed. Um, and I think it was because I honestly believed that America would be better than it was right. That America, after hearing these tapes and what have you would have been like, of course, we're not going to go with this misogynist sexual assaulting grifter. We're going to go with the overqualified woman. Um, but they didn't. And so 
today I am feeling more possible, right? Like I still have the fight. The fight didn't lose me, but I'm feeling like more Americans actually woke up. I'm feeling like the numbers that we saw that more Americans ever before decided, oh, we're not going to sit this midterm election out. Um, And I think that that was really important. One of the things that has been troubling me is polls and this idea of shaking the magic eight ball and just assuming that, you know, well, the polls say that Democrats are going to lose everything. The polls say blah, 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 blah. And the polls are telling us that there was going to be a quote unquote red wave. What do you what is your feeling with regard to how we actually utilize polls in the media, right, to turn what is incredibly important, you know, the fate of our democracy into some type of horse or competitive race? Yeah, I mean, I've been suspicious of polls for a while because, you know, I don't answer the phone. I don't answer the Ain't phone. Ain't nobody called me, so I, I've never gotten a phone and call. Let me just tell you, my kids, you know, anyone who has kids who, you know, they're not going to answer the phone. They won't even text me back. <laughs> so like, they're going to answer the phone. I mean, so polls, who are you polling? How are you polling? Mm-hmm. Um, there was a time, I think, when the science of polling was better. Yeah. And then the polling aggregators, like, could, you know, decide which pollers were better at what they were doing and give the appropriate weight. But as we know, if a lot of um, sort of biased polls get into the mix, it's going to tilt things, right? And this is hard stuff because there's a value in finding out where people are, you know, like the enthusiasm polls and things like that. You know, there's a value also in knowing, um, I I mean, I think if I were a candidate, we were talking earlier about um, about doing, um, trying to, you know, test out messages with focus groups. I think I would want to know about polls because you, you don't want to be blindsided, right? But they've really gone, they've really not been right for a really long time. And I think in 2016, people didn't want to admit maybe that they were going to vote for Trump because mm-hmm. they knew what was going on at the time. And I think now, you know, the polls are either biased in some way or they're not actually reaching people. Like no one picks up the phone. I mean, who has a landline phone? Anyway, I mean, I've done calling to get out the vote and stuff. And then people who I call who are supposed to be on the Democratic list when I've done it, like they've been called like 10 times, you know, so who, who's picking up the phone? Um, you know, it's people who want to talk, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with polling, to be honest with you. But if it's not working, to, it, it doesn't have the same predictive power. Got to think about something else to try to figure out where people are in terms of voting, I would say. Yeah. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign 
as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. For me, that the issue with polling, right, is the fact that it's bullshit and it's not science. That exactly what you just said, you can ask a question in a certain way to a certain group of people at a certain type of day, change those factors, and you're going to get an entirely different answer, right? And so I think that there was a lot of stock um, ahead of 2016 that was put into polling, right? We all, and if the polls had been right, Hillary Clinton would have been our president and we would have never been in any of the situations that we find ourselves in now after four years under Donald Trump. But really seven, when you think about the span of time that he has now been a part of our political culture, that wouldn't have happened. And so these days and and it was, you know, the midterm elections in 2018, the presidential in 2020, it was the same messed up polling that told us one thing and then what the outcome is, is completely different. And I have said, I don't trust polling. What I trust are what people do, not what they say that they're going to do. And that's the problem with how polling is done. I do think though, that to some extent it provides, you know, when asked in the right way to the right groups of people, it provides a snapshot into where people are and what they care about. But the reality too is, you know, and we, we've talked about this, Jen, so many times, that you need, Democrats need to go where people are. And I think that what we realized in this, in in this race is that they gave up in Ohio. They didn't go and support Tim Ryan whatsoever, right? He used it, you know, in a smart way to try and advance, you know, I don't need them. I just need you all, my constituents, but he lost, right? And not, sorry, go ahead, continue. No, no, no. I don't know. I don't know. Why would they not support him? I have no idea. Right? Like, but it's the same thing. Why didn't the apparatus, like, why weren't they in North Carolina in the same way? Why weren't they in, you know, in Florida in the same way? I think that Democrats concede way too much and just give up on states and say, oh, they're red or, oh, they're this. It's improbable. So we're just going to move on. And, you know, to that point, since, um, What's his name? Who was the one that had the 50 state strategy with the DNC? The only person that had the 50 state strategy. Oh, um, why can't Yeah. Why can't I remember his name? Howard Dean. Howard Dean. Howard Dean was literally has been the only person from a million years ago that said we're moving with a 50 state strategy since Howard Dean's exit. There has been no strategy like that. Democrats have decided that they're just going to invest in these certain little places right up at the election. 
but no investment 364 other days of the year. And that's part of the problem. Yeah, um, I think also a huge part of the problem is missing the Gen Z wave was coming. And it's also important, you know, you say go to where people are. It's also listen to people because I've got a 15 year old and I'm talking to them and, you know, I'm saying, you know, you're 15. So how important is abortion rights? And my kid gave me, you know, a talking to, and it's like, it's like, look, um, kids my age, you know, just out of middle school, high school are more worried about school shootings. It's more likely you're going to get killed in school than have an unwanted pregnancy. Is how wow. they, and I was like, oh, and of course we live in Massachusetts, so you can probably get the morning after pill or whatever, but the, or medication, abortion or whatever, you know, like the point is, and I saw this in uh, Frederick Joseph put a tweet out this morning, like yep. Gen Z, he kind of echoed my kid, like Gen Z has been doing school shooting drills for years. And now you're going to tell them they can't read the books they like or be gay if they want to be. They're not going to put up with that. What are you offering, Gen Z? And they see through the Republican Party. And I think once you hook people on voting, they're going to recruit the next generation. You know, those Gen Z kids, like I've got one kid who's 22 and one who's 15. My 15-year-old, half their life has been the Trump menace. In Mm. 2015, when he was, right? I'm just thinking about Mm -hmm. these kids. Yeah, yeah. And it's, they don't like it. You know, it's always, and I know there are exceptions and so on, but it's the kids who are my kids' age who want a multiracial democracy. I mean, I'm the gener- I'm Gen X, and that's what I thought we wanted. And then I see how the Gen X people vote, but I realize maybe my world's different than other white people. Um, but it's like, what is the work that we need to do ahead? And you and I were talking earlier on Mary's show on messaging that made sense. And, you know, maybe you can talk about your messaging here, mm-hmm. but I feel like, you know, if we can carry that to every constituency and they use the word and say what it means to them, and we'll soon find out that it's only the Democratic Party who can guarantee for us that we won't have all of our rights trampled on by these fascists, you know? So that's important, I think, to to everybody. And the more we can communicate that, I think, and like you're saying, not just, you know, a week before the election, but in every way in all of our communities, it would, it would make a huge difference. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I have been trying to understand, and I, you know, folks who who listen to me know my part of my background is in PR uh, and in media and all of these things. And, you know, so what Democrats miss, I think, is that they have to sell, right? They have to sell a product. And where we have been is that we are high-minded and we just want people to be born with empathy. We want people to be born believing that, you know, everyone is deserving and have equity as their compass. And that is not the thing. And so I said, if anything were to come out of this midterm elections, which now gives us this feeling of possibility, is freedom, right? There is one party that is fighting for your freedom, freedom to love, freedom to live, freedom to learn, freedom to have health care, like freedom to exist, right? Um, There's one party, freedom to vote, freedom to marry, like there is one freedom to have bodily autonomy. There's only one right. party. Right. So why have we allowed ourselves to have that word, freedom, liberty, and patriotism co-opted by a party that does the complete opposite of the definition of those words? Uh, you know, absolutely. And part of the, I think the way it works is they have these scare tactics. You know, the billionaires say, oh, if they want to tax me more, they're going to do the same to you. No, there are greedy people who are hoarding power, hoarding freedom, hoarding money, hoarding access. They want more than their share. And so it's like freedom for me, not for you. It's like the opposite of like Leona Helmsley said, taxes are for the little people. Repression is for the little people. Mm -hmm. Denial of access is for the little people. These folks, their girlfriends get all the abortions they want. Mm. They have all the money they want. They're not, you know, it's, it's like, it's like such projection. They are so greedy that they have to it's sort of like, it's like the Republicans are kind of like the Elon Musk's of the world. It's like, I paid too much for this company. I paid 44 billion and that was dumb. So instead of doing a strategic plan that would help the company maybe do something different with advertising, I'm going to crush the employees. I'm going to crush the people who use it. I'm going to blow the whole thing up. It's like, and that's kind of like the sort of whole Thing that they do, the Republican theory about trickle-down economics, you can name it. None of it's a great idea. But because of no. all their idea, they they have an idea of scarcity. Yes. And they yes. impose the scarcity. There's plenty. We're the richest mm-hmm. nation in the world. We have really smart, capable people. If we invest in our communities, if we love each other, if we let people be who they are, freedom can be what everything we we mean it to be. Right. Yeah. I, I I think that, you know. And I have I've been saying this as well. Democrats come from a place of abundance. Obama's very successful, you know, eight years of the presidency was around the idea that there is more than enough for everyone. There was. Yes, we can. Right. Because we because we are an abundant, you know, society of of people who believe in the values that this country has. And so all you need to do is lift that up. And then consistently bang that message into the wall, into every place, into every avenue. With the couple of minutes that we have left, Jen, I I do want to get 
you know, what were the races for you that were surprising um, that you were like, oh, my God, as as the numbers were coming in, you were like, yes, yes, yes. What were those races? Um, I guess I would say, you know, three different things. First, even though I thought Fetterman was going to win, it just felt so damn good. So good. You know, and, you know, I guess as, as someone someone said, I guess the drive back to New Jersey was pretty sad for Oz last night. You know, the schadenfreude. I think the other, the surpriser, and we still don't know the outcome, is maybe Lauren Boebert has been kicked out of Congress. Yep. And that just makes me have all the good feels. Um, on another sort of personal level, because I grew up in the Midwest, I grew up in Michigan, seeing Gretchen Whitmer, um, you know, win. Um, they're seeing Michigan flip its whole legislature to Democrats. It hasn't been under Democratic control since 1983 when I was in high school, like shortly mm. before I moved away from home. And it's like, hey, you know, this is incredible. And also them, you know, everything happening in Michigan is super exciting. I consider that place a bellwether state and I'm seeing what happens there. So those were all exciting. And then me personally here, I live in Massachusetts, seeing Laura Healy, who I knew was going to win that she's the first woman elected to govern in Massachusetts. We had someone else who was a lieutenant governor step up and that she's a lesbian in that yep. role. So good. She's amazing. She was an incredible um, attorney general and a very good prosecutor before that. Um, I spoke to her when she was running for AG and she was very polite. I was talking about the housing crisis because I was writing about that. You know, when you meet people one-on-one -on -one and they're nice to you and you can't do anything for them, and have a real conversation yeah. with you. It's like that, that says it all to me. So those were the things that kind of made me happy. What about you? Yeah, for me, um, it, you know, similarly, it was, uh, Shapiro's win, uh, in, in, in Pennsylvania. I mean, obviously Doug Mastron, it was like a piece of trash, but Shapiro's last like big rally speech. I was like, that's the guy. This is, this is how you talk to the people. Um, Wes Moore, being the first black governor of Maryland and only the fifth black governor in these United States um, is incredible. Uh, and then Mora representing the LGBTQIA community. Um, amazing. I think that there were so what I want for Democrats coming out of this is not the self, you know, the, 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 the woe is me, what we, what else we could have done. I think that this week was a week of promise, was a week of hope that we've been desperate to have. We've been desperate for hope. We've been looking for it and stumbling upon oasis after oasis in the desert. And it, a mirage, I should say, mirage after mirage in the desert that would just disappear. And I think that last night was, you know, was the oasis that we need to kind of replenish ourselves, refresh ourselves and look forward uh, to figuring out what we need to do for the presidential, because like, we're not done. And that's what I want people to understand too, about elections is that the work is not every two and four years. It's all of the years. Right. And I hope that people recognize that the risk that our democracy is in is still not over, but there are more people that are waking up to that reality and more people recognizing their power. Um, that gives me more hope to continue doing the work that all of us try and do, whether it's writing, teaching, speaking, you know, organizing, running for office. I just I am really, really proud um, of, of what was done, even though we have more work ahead. 
Um, Jen, I thank you so much for subbing in for Waja Hot. This has been so much fun. Um, any parting words for the democracy-ish listeners? Freedom, freedom, freedom. That is it, folks. Thank you for listening to Democracy-ish. I'm Danielle Moody. And I'm Jen Tobb. And we'll be back next week, folks, if indeed, and there will be a country left.